Thank you. All right. Thank you. Just keep it. Yeah. Uh, Great to be up here. Uh, Like Jim said, I'm Chris. You are here today on week three of this series, Two Steps Forward, One Step Back. Uh, We're taking a look at the life of this family uh, in the the Old Testament, kind of right back in the first part of the Bible, and their names are Abraham and Sarah, uh, and and they live an interesting life. And and a lot of times we all kind of wish that in life I was always moving in the right direction, like everything's always up and to the right. Uh, but I find most of the time, if I can try to keep the ratio of two steps in the right direction for every step in the wrong direction I take, that's a, that's a decent trend for me. And that's definitely the case with Abraham. So this is our third week. So we've had two weeks before uh, where we've been talking about this guy. And I got to tell you, last week, I was sitting right over there um, and I was listening to our friend Aisha. She's actually right here. She was teaching last week. And I'm listening, and this question started to pop up in my head because um, uh, I'm kind of looking around, and, and I started asking myself this question because it's something that I, that I deal with myself where, why are we talking about Abraham? Like, why are we talking about this moldy old dude from a million years ago, right? Like, what does that have to do with my life right now? Like, like, why, and we're going to spend a bunch of weeks talking about this dude, why would we spend so much time on that? Because I don't know if you're like me, there, one of the biggest things that I face every day is I, you know, I get this Bible, most of it is this thing called the Old Testament, and I'm like, what am I going to do with that, right? Like, you read stuff in there, and it sounds odd, and it's kind of boring, and, and occasionally you're going to find something that actually feels offensive, and you're like, I don't, I don't like that. And we're trying to figure out. What am I supposed to do with that Old Testament? Why are we going to talk about this Abraham guy? And my head kept spinning as it tends to do. Once I get on one rabbit trail, man, I'm gone, right? And then I started wondering, maybe there's some of us who are asking a different question. So I was a kid who my parents brought me to church every Sunday, like my whole life. And if you are in your 30s and you grew up in church, every week you sang this song about Father Abraham and his many sons. And for some reason you had to wave your hand and feet around. And if, that, if you don't know what I'm talking about, consider yourself lucky. But a lot of us do. And, and so it, it doesn't pop out to me as weird that we talk about Abraham. I'm like, yeah, church, you sing the song, right? But... But there's this other question, right? Because the church, right? Aren't, aren't we really gathered here to learn about, to talk about Jesus? So why are we going to spend a bunch of weeks talking about Abraham? Shouldn't we just be talking about Jesus? If you think about, if Jesus is like, like the national act or the headlining act of a big concert tour, then like Abraham's like the weird local band that opens for him. And you're like, well, let's not talk about the weird opening band. Let's talk about the headliner. Why are you going to talk about this guy? Shouldn't we just talk about Jesus? And so I spent the last couple of weeks kind of reading and thinking and, and asking myself that question. This is what I came to. I actually don't think the story of Jesus makes any sense at all if you don't first understand the story of Abraham. That actually Jesus is kind of the culmination and the fulfillment of a plan that God is going to put into effect with Abraham. And that's why we're going to talk about him. And I want to spend some time actually telling you a little bit about Abraham. So Abraham, uh, he kind of shows up on the scene uh, and gets this call and this promise from God, and that happens in Genesis chapter 12. But what God does there with him in Genesis 12 is a direct response to what has happened in Genesis 1 through 11. So I'm going to give you a super brief, I'm just going to kind of run through the main points of what happens in the first 11 chapters uh, of the Bible. So Genesis chapter one and two, first two chapters of the Bible, this is the creation story. Most people, you probably have at least a little familiarity with this. God creates the world and the plants and the animals and the people and he puts them 
He puts them in a place that we call the Garden of Eden, right? It's this idyllic, perfect place. Here's what you need to know about Genesis 1 and 2 to understand what God is going to do with Abraham and eventually with Jesus. When God creates the world, uh, the, the, the Hebrew word that they use to describe it is the word shalom. Okay, now shalom, maybe you've heard that word. You might understand it to mean peace, and it does mean that. But peace is an inadequate uh, definition. It means a lot more than that. We just don't have a word in English that can fully capture what shalom meant to the Hebrew people. It's this idea of peace, yes, but of unity, of wholeness, of perfection, of harmony. It's the idea that God created a closed system where all the pieces fit perfectly together and worked perfectly together. So relationship of human to human, no friction, no conflict, relationship of human to God, no friction, no conflict, and even the relationship of humanity to the earth. It all just worked. Everything was just right. So Genesis 1 and 2, God creates that kind of system. Genesis 3, we get our problem, right? This is where uh, what, what the church has traditionally called sin enters this story, right? So you got these people, they've been given this perfect world where everything works for them. You got to imagine there's a million trees filled with fruit and God says, enjoy all of them. But that one over there, that one will hurt you. That one's bad for you. Be best if you leave that one alone. And these humans, uh, which I can't relate to at all, eventually start to think, I know what's best. I know everything, and I think that's best. And they eat it, right? And this interesting thing happens. Origi uh, they immediately feel ashamed. They start hiding. They start blaming. They start lying. We start to see brokenness in their relationship to one another, their relationship to God. And the story will actually tell us that there, there comes brokenness in their relationship to the planet also, right? Shalom, everything works together. All of a sudden, doesn't work together anymore. Things have gotten broken. That's our problem. So Genesis chapters four through nine, the people keep making more people as people tend to do, right? And as people expand, the, it tells us that wickedness on the earth expands too. They went from making this one bad choice to now they're making a lot of bad choices. And God is above this watching this and saying, this is not good. This is not what's best for you. This is not what I want to see happen, right? So God calls this guy Noah um, and says, hey, you live in the desert, so build a giant boat, obviously. Um, so Noah does it. He gets his family on this boat. Somehow two of every animal on the earth shows up and fits on the boat. Uh, and then the Bible says it rains for 40 days and 40 nights and water comes up from the earth for 40 days and 40 nights and all of the globe is encompassed in a flood. Let me take... Just a brief little side point here. For a long time in my life personally, trying to figure out how to understand stories like, like that became maybe the biggest stumbling block in my faith. The hardest thing for me to deal with. I remember being a freshman in high school, taking a class called pre-IB biology and learning about biology and crying myself to sleep every night because I couldn't figure out how to make it make sense with what I had understood my whole life at church. I know there's a lot of you out here who you read a story like that and you think, I just can't figure out how the world can be a few thousand years old. Or I can't figure out how it's possible that there's two human ancestors for every single one of us. Or I just can't figure out how you could fit all those animals on one tiny boat, right? You just, and that, that has become the thing that gets between you and really being, you, you might say, you know, I'm intrigued by this Jesus character, but man, I, I don't know. Here's what I want you to know. There are a lot of really smart, really wonderful, really faithful people 
in this church and in the world around us who love Jesus a lot and they, and they read these first chapters of Genesis as being more illustrative and figurative. And hear this, there are a lot of really smart, really wonderful, really faithful people in this church and in this world who start from a point of understanding that we have a God who can do anything and read that story as telling them literally both when and how the world was created. See, we exist on, on a tension between two points. And I believe, and you gotta know, you gotta know this, there is space in this church for you wherever you are on that point, right? There is space, because here's what we agree on. No matter, no matter where you are on it, we all agree on something, and it's this. We agree that whether you read these stories as literal or not, they tell us something. They are invested with deep, what we might call anthropological meaning that tell us what are people like? What is the nature of humanity? And it tells us what is God like? What does God do? And how do those two things interact, right? We all agree that these stories have something to teach us. And, and just if you're new around here, know this about Ascent. This is kind of core to who we are and our values. This is the kind of church where we are going to encourage you to be a part of a dialogue, Right? that there's space for you in here, and this is a church where we're gonna encourage you to ask big questions, to seek answers, and to enter into a conversation with other people who may not land on the same spot that you do. And, and sometimes we get to a point where we're so far on one end or the other that, that we actually can't really have a respectful conversation with somebody who thinks differently from us anymore. And just know, if that's you, you might get frustrated here because Ascent just isn't that kind of church. This is a church where we want you to ask questions. We want you to seek truth and find answers and have that conversation. Okay? Great. All right. So that was chapter 9. It's been getting worse. Flood comes. Chapter 10. Water goes down. Boat lands on a mountain. People come out. People start making more people again. Right? So they're spreading out, and that gets us to Genesis chapter 11. And this is so fundamentally important to understand what happens in 11, to, to, to be able to understand what God is doing in 12 when he calls Abraham. So a lot of these people have ended up living in a large city in a place called Babel. And they're figuring stuff out. They're actually developing some new technology and it's expanding their capabilities. You read the Bible, like they figured out how to make bricks, right? So they don't have to build out of just stone. But turns out when you make that transition, you can do a lot of things. And these people, they're starting to get pretty confident in themselves and they have this idea. They say, hey, let's build a city and let's build a tower and let's build that tower all the way up into the heavens, so we can make a name for ourselves and we don't have to be scattered around anymore. This is what they're saying. Hey, I can do some stuff. I can do some pretty great stuff. And I want people to see the great stuff that I can do. And in fact, I, I feel like I can kind of control things and I've got control of my life. And you know what? I don't think I, don't think I really need God anymore. I'm gonna build this tower all the way up into the heavens. I'm gonna displace God. We're gonna take over that spot in our own lives. That's what's going on, right? And God's looking down. And remember, these are God's people, these people that God love, who God made to live in perfect unity and perfect relationship with him. And he knows that uh, this isn't good for you. So he gets a plan. And this is a crazy plan, right? So, so I, I, this is how I imagine it happened. They all, they're, they're working. It's all hands on deck. We got a well-oiled machine. We're placing bricks. We're building a tower. It's getting better. Everybody goes to bed and they wake up in the morning and everyone speaks a different language. 
And that makes the project a little bit harder to complete. Right, you probably know that trying to finish a project when the instructions are completely incomprehensible is really frustrating. If you've ever put anything together from Ikea, you know. You know, when you can't understand what you're supposed to do, it gets real hard, and then the people around you, they start to know that it's real hard, right? And so I imagine they get up and they're going back to work and they're just fighting and they can't figure it out, and so they scatter, right? The Bible tells us the people, they scatter. So this is the context within which Abraham's gonna show up. World, designed to be perfect designed to work. It doesn't. It keeps breaking, right? So now we've gotten to this point where all the people are scattered. And in that place of things being scattered, we get God's call to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. This is what it says. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All right. So aside from saying the word bless a whole lot in there, um, let, let, let's break down exactly what it is that God is saying. But I want you to know, I believe that these three verses, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, this is the turning point in the Bible. This is one of the most important things, the key like things by which we read the overall narrative of scripture is right, right there. So here's where we're at. We got this turning point and God is revealing a plan. We've had this place where people are now scattered and immediately God responds with a plan to bring all people back, to restore that idea of shalom and peace to the world. So the first thing he says to Abraham, he says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. All right, there is a, a severing here, right? So Abraham had been in this one place with this one people and this one family in a time when the world was an insecure and scary place. You did not travel. You did not go away from where you were from at this time in the world. And so this is a bold thing that God is calling him to, but it's, it's, he's, breaking, he's making a new start here. This actually, it, it parallels back to Genesis 1 and 2. It's a, the idea of a new creation. God is planting a new seed from which uh, God intends to grow, kind of a, a new garden of Eden. All right? So it goes on. Next verse. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Every once in a while, you're, you're going to read the Bible, and you're going to hear something, and be like, that just sounds weird, right? For me on this one, I will make your name great. Because my whole life I've been told, you know, vanity not, doesn't look so good on you. Don't be arrogant. It's like God is trying to play to Abraham's ego here. Like, hey, Abe, I know this is a big deal, but I'm going to make you super cool. Everybody's going to like you, right? So it, it feels weird. Like, it's a, like, like, is God appealing to the wrong side of me, to the wrong side of Abraham? But anytime you read the Bible, it is so important that you don't just read one line by itself. You gotta understand what came before and what came after and where it fits in context. Because I think this is actually, this is a direct response to something that happened one chapter earlier. So uh, Genesis chapter 11, verse four, this is the people in Babel as they're making their plans. This is what they say. Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, why? So that we may make a name for ourselves. See, the people of Babel, they wanted to be great. They wanted to be a big deal. They wanted people to see them. They had this thing inside of them that longed to be filled. And they thought 
make me famous, make me admirable, make me respected, that's going to fill it. And see, just one, and, and it doesn't go well for them. And one chapter later, God's talking to Abraham, and he says, I'll, I'll make your name great. See, what God is saying is like, listen, you have this thing that you need, that you want, right? And you're trying to fill it up in the wrong ways. What you need to do is just come, like, be in relationship with me, live with me, and I will take care of that for you. I'll do that for you. I recognize a strange paradox there. I see this in my own life all the time where I tend to leave relationship with God to try to go get something that I can only get within relationship with him. Like, it draws us in the wrong direction all the time. What God's saying is like, no, no, no. Like, like one chapter later, the next movement of God is saying, listen, I know what you need. I know what you feel. I know what you're looking for. Come to me and you'll find it. I'll make your name great. And what's even better is, as he goes on, he gives us a reason why. There's a reason that God is going to make Abraham's name great. And here it is. Ready? He says, do this and you will be a blessing. See, ultimately, it's not even about Abraham. It's not about his exaltation. It's about what God wants to do for other people through him. He goes on. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, if I'm being honest with you guys right now, if there was just a couple words that I could have just snipped out of the Bible and not have to include, it would have been, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Because maybe you're like me and you're a little uncomfortable with the idea of a God who curses people. Like, that, that just feels ugly to me. Like, I... I if I could just like skip over it. Think about how great this verse would be. I will bless those who bless you and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Man, anybody can sign up for that. But a God who curses people? I, I don't like the feel of that. I had to spend a lot of time writing in my journal, reading, like praying, trying to figure out what am I supposed to, what am I supposed to do with something like that in the Bible? Here's, here's, my, be, here's my best attempt at it. Um, I have a, a five-year-old daughter named Nora, and a few weeks ago, we went to a birthday party for another five-year-old. Actually, uh, Becky, our worship leader, her daughter, August, turned five. So we're at this party, and when you're five and you go to a birthday party, this amazing thing happens. The party ends and you get a present, right? Like, it's not your birthday, but you get a little goodie bag on the way out. And in it is like some little like kitschy toys, like some bouncy balls or some of that gross slime that like I don't know why any parent would ever buy that because it's immediately in your kid's hair and your carpet. Like, cool, thanks Becky, right? Uh, but, but there's also candy in there. And let me tell you what, my little girl Nora loves herself some candy, right? I, I'm sure that's ubiquitous with five-year-olds. And she would eat every bit of it at once and then just be sick as a dog if, if we didn't step in. And so we get in the car and I let her have one piece and we drive home and I take her goodie bag and I put it up on the refrigerator where she can't reach it. And the deal is once a day, you get to pick out a piece and you can have that until it's all gone. So next day comes. And Nora... Um, Sometimes she doesn't think she should do quite what I think she should do. Uh, and we had a little disagreement. Uh, there was some, some trouble listening that day and then a big tantrum. Um, and, and I had to say to her, you know, Nora, you, you made a bad choice. And there's going to be a consequence for that. And the consequence for you is that you don't get to have your goodie bag today. And then she just said, okay, Daddy, I agree. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, we had a second tantrum at that point. Uh, 
but the deal was, if you have a good day tomorrow, you can have a piece after dinner. And she didn't have a good day tomorrow. Uh, so she didn't get to have a piece. And then she didn't have a good day the day after tomorrow. Uh, on the third day, she, she figured it out. She got to have candy. And she's eating it all now. But I can tell you this. In the days when Nora walked through that kitchen and looked up on a refrigerator and saw a bag of candy that was hers that her dad would not let her have, she felt under my curse, right? I promise you, if she knew what curse means, that is the word she would use to describe what was going on. And I think that's what's going on in the scriptures. See, I, I don't hate my daughter. I love my daughter. And I'm making a decision that she doesn't like, that she interprets as a curse, because I believe I'm going to be, I'm helping her by giving her that discipline. I'm teaching her to make better decisions, to control her passions, to think about how what she does affects other people. And I think that's what's happening in the scriptures. But I'm also aware that I'll bet some of you out there are like, no, that says curse, Chris. That doesn't say God took away candy. That says curse, and I think you're letting God off a little too easy. Well, here, again, never read one line of the Bible by itself because look what the very next line is. I will curse those who curse you. And who? All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples. See, see, God isn't saying, hey, Abraham, your job is to bless your people or your family. God is saying, this is for everybody. Everything that I'm doing is designed that all people on earth might be blessed through it. Everybody is a part of that. Abraham and his family get a job. And this is what their job is. God says, live close to me. Live in relationship with me. Everyone is scattered. Everyone is far from me. I'm going to plant you right in the middle of them. You live with me and show them what it looks like to live with me. And it's going to draw them in. Your life should be enticing to other people to say, wow, something is different about Sarah. Something is different about Abraham, and I got to check that out. That is Abraham's job. That is Sarah's job. That is God's plan to bring the scattered humanity all back. And it's important that you recognize this because it's always true. God's plan involves choice, not force. God's plan is to constantly present you with the option to choose what is right, to choose what is better, and to come into it, not to force you into it. Abraham and Sarah and everyone who comes after them, their job, live differently so that people will see it and come back to me. There's this guy named Walter Brueggemann. He's like a professorial, sort of like, uh, like scholar guy. He writes about the Old Testament, and he says this about Abraham's call, and I just, I love this. He says, the purpose of the call is to fashion an alternative community in creation gone awry, to embody in human history the power of the blessing. It's the hope of God that in this new family, all human history can be brought to the unity and harmony intended by the one who calls. Abraham gets a purpose for his life. And I think we are too. So that's Abraham, right? That's what we, that's what we know about Abraham. Here, here's what I think this means for us, why we would talk about Abraham for so long. Because I think God is still saying, I will bless you, you will be a blessing, and all people will be blessed through you, right? I believe that God's saying that to each one of us. But man, there's this part of me that hears that, and I'm like, 
yikes, that is a big job. Like most of the time, I can't even get to the bottom of my inbox, and now I'm supposed to bless the whole world, heal everything that's broken? How do I do, how do, I do that? Like, if you're like, I get this, I get anxious, I have anxiety, right? I'm like, oh, I'm not, I, and I feel insufficient, I know I'm not going to be able to do it, and it becomes crippling. And I think, I think, I don't know, I don't have this all figured out, but I think the key, again, I try to look back at what are, what, what are the exact words that the Bible is telling me, and I look back at the promise that God gives Abraham, and God keeps saying, I will, I will, I will, I will make you into a nation, I will bless you, I will make your name great, I will, I will, not, God is the actor, right? Something about my wiring makes me start to think like, no, 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 this is my job, it's my job to bless the world. Well, well the Bible's pretty clear that God says that's, that's, that's God's job. My job is to do what Abraham did. And what Abraham did is he sought to live in God's presence and he responded when God gave him something to do. He became the blessing. God is always the blesser. And my job is to seek God and then respond when God calls. And as we all know, that's super easy because God just calls you up on the phone and says, Chris, you go down to this street corner and pray for that person or like or sends a text message now. You know, God's pretty hip. He's, uh, yeah, I get Snapchats from him all the time. We got like a 110-day streak. It's going really well. Um, no, if you, read, if you read about Abraham and Sarah, if you read books about that, um, articles, anything, what you're going to see is you're going to get a ton of material talking about how brave they are, how courageous they are, how faithful they are, how amazing it is that they were willing to walk away from the world that they knew to go into this new place. And I don't want to undersell that too much, but I just kept reading, I kept thinking, but God told them where to go. Like I imagine a booming voice from the heavens that says, go from your country and your father's household to the place I will show you and I'll bless you and I'll do all this stuff. And I, I can't litmus test this because it's never happened, but I'm pretty certain if the sky started speaking to me and told me to go to Tempe, Arizona, I'd be on my way. I, th I think I would go if God talked to me the way he talked to Abraham. And so I read this and I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do? Because I... I don't hear God just speaking in English right into my ears telling me exactly where to go and what to do and how to be. And so if my job is to seek God and to respond when he calls, I don't always know how to do that. What does that mean? But I, I've also come to believe this, that even though the voice of God uh, for, for most of the time isn't this audible voice spoken in a language like a friend might speak to us, um, just because I can't always hear it doesn't mean it's not always there. And I start to think that, that maybe, maybe the voice of God is like a radio wave, right? In this room with us right now, radio waves everywhere. But you can't hear it if you're not tuned in to the right station. And so I, I, I read this and I think, man, how do I, what does it mean for me to get tuned into the right station? And, um, you know, I, I mentioned already that I have these two kids, five-year-old Nora two-year-old Quinn, right? And they are just these fantastic, like my, my kids just glow. They are amazing children. Um, but, you know, they're growing up and, and there are real challenges to being a parent. And about a month ago, I felt like I came into this place where I just felt like I was in, I was in constant conflict with, with Nora. Who, she, Nora turned five on Friday. So she's four, I guess, when this story. So you, you get the idea, right? And it's like, 
Every time it's time to put your shoes on, like I put them out and all of a sudden one of them's missing. And it's time to get in the car and she's in the backyard. And it's time to go upstairs and she's on the floor screaming at me. Like, like we just, I felt like everything was a battle. And it got to the point where it's like I'd be coming home from work and I felt like I was girding up for the battle, right? Like feeling the anxiety, like, all right, three hours of fighting and then eventually she'll be asleep, right? Like, like you get in this place and... Um, there was even a day, our staff um, here at the church, on t- we meet for staff meeting on Tuesdays, and a lot of times we'll kind of go around and share, like, what do you need prayer for? And I, I shared, like, man, I just, I'm having constant conflict with Nora. I can't, I, I don't know how to handle this, and they prayed for me for that. And, and there came a night where in our bedtime routine at the Sturgeon household, uh, we bring the, the girls' rooms are upstairs, and we take them up there, and we play some music, and they kind of tidy up and dance around. And then once the rooms are clean, then it's just total dance party, right? Havoc breaks loose. It's really awesome. And, and the girls jump and spin and laugh, and, and we have this great time. And then we, we get them to sleep. And then Lindsay, my wife, and I, we kind of tidy the house up a bit, and eventually we get to go to bed. And, and, and we're getting ready to go to sleep, and... And, and Lindsay, my wife, she, she, she turns towards me and she begins to talk in and, and kind of a, a, a tentative, careful, quiet voice. And she says, Chris, um, man, I, Quinn is the little one, is such a doll right now. And, and Quinn is in such a, is like a total daddy phase. Like she's all about me right now. So she does, it's awesome, right? It's really fun. Um, and she goes, and, and when, when she was dancing, I was watching you and your eyes were just sparkling watching Quinn. Like that was... That was so great. I'm so glad that she has a dad who looks at her that way. And, and then she said, and I, I know uh, Nora's a little bit harder right now. And I, man, I was watching your eyes sparkle when you were, were looking at Quinn. And then I was watching Nora watch your eyes sparkle when you're looking at Quinn. And Chris, you don't look at, you don't look at Nora like that right now. And she knows. My heart broke, right? Like, that's hard criticism to receive. But I, in the moment, I knew it was true. And, and part of our story is that it was not easy for my wife and I to become parents. For years, I begged God. I begged God to let me be a father. I begged God for Nora. And I promised to him and to my wife, to myself, and to that little girl, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to put you first. You are never going to feel less than in my presence. And that little girl was watching me show favoritism to her sister. And I am not okay with that. I am not okay with being that kind of man, right? Because I love that little girl. And I'll be darned if she's not going to grow up knowing that she is special and that she is worth something and that she's not going to have to look other places than her dad to find a man who looks at her that way. And I have to change. I got to be different. And I have a a group of guys from this church that I gather with in the mornings and we happen to be reading another book in the Bible called Galatians. And that week I wrote, I read uh, Galatians chapter five. Um, and I want to I read a bit from this. It's Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, and then I skip a few verses, and it's 22 through 25, and it says this. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Quick, like flesh, that's a weird word. Just think, like, that's the part of you that drives you towards wrong choices, towards sin. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things there is no law. 
Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And I read that and I think, you know what I need in order to be the kind of dad I want to be? I need love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I need all nine of those things. And apart from them, I'm somebody I don't want to be. But what I love about the Bible is it doesn't say, hey, Chris, you knucklehead, try harder. Be loving, be joyful, be peaceful, be patient. No, no, no. It says walk by the Spirit. It says get the Spirit of God in your life and those things will start to show up. Because no matter how hard I try, I can't make myself into that. I didn't mean to show favoritism to my kids. But man, apart from God, my soul drifts. And I become somebody that I don't want to be, that I never wanted to be. And I asked those guys, I said, you got to pray for me because I got to be better. I got to change. And I'll tell you, I woke up the next morning and I was different. And it's still hard. We still have conflict. But when I ask for help, I consistently find it. And I've just come to realize that apart from Jesus, I cannot be the dad I want to be. And I can't be the husband I want to be. And I can't be the friend I want to be. And I can't be the brother I want to be or the son I want to be or the pastor I want to be. I can't be anything that I aspire to be apart from Jesus. And I don't know how it happens. I don't know what makes it different. But when I ask for help, I change. I find that help. I can't explain it. It just does. See, God says to Abraham, and God is saying to us right now, live with me. Be close to me, and eventually I'm going to call, and in those moments, respond. Back when we were dating, my wife, uh, she she drove this little red Jetta. She named it Cayenne. You know, some people name cars. Hers was Cayenne. So, cute little car. Um, and we're dating, and, but she had a piece of paper taped to her dash right next to the speedometer with a, with a Bible verse written in her handwriting. It was Jeremiah 29, 13. And Jeremiah 29, 13 says this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. See, God's just saying, look for me, seek me. And if you do, you'll find me. And in my experience, it's been true. When I look, and I'm not always looking, I'll be, I will be so honest with you, I am not always looking. But when I do look, I find. And I don't always listen, but when I do listen, I hear. And 100% of the time when I don't, I drift. I head in a direction that I don't want to head. And listen, seeking, like... We're talking about having a relationship with a supernatural being, right? Seeking God looks different for different people. We, we, we don't, are never all going to have the same relationship with Jesus. But I will tell you, I believe that there are two fundamental building blocks that are a part of every person's interaction with God. First one is reading the Bible. And listen, if you don't have a Bible or if you know you have one, but you don't know where it is or you just want a different one or you know somebody who wants one, we have free Bibles in the back. Take one, take two, take them all. Take a Bible. We want you to have a Bible and we want you to read it. I know most of you, you probably have one somewhere, but maybe it doesn't get taken off the shelf that much. Pick it up. And and here's my suggestion. Don't start at the beginning and try to read straight through. It's going to be hard that way. Flip through about two-thirds, three-quarters of the way through, you're going to find a book called The Gospel of John. Start there. It's a story about Jesus' life, and it is super weird. But it's also wonderful. 
It's full of strange things, but they are amazing. And if you will read the story of Jesus and ask yourself this question every day, read a little bit and go, what does this mean for my life? What can the example of Jesus teach me? If you do that, I, I believe to the core of my being that God will meet you in that and you will have an experience with God. I believe that. Read your Bible. Here's the second building block, prayer. And again, I know like you could do it. I could teach you. We could teach for two years on prayer and you'd still feel like a novice, right? And there's going to be times if you do this, you're going to be like, am I just talking to the air right now? That's okay. Just keep talking. Uh, praying, talking to God is not the same. It is, I, it, maybe if when you get super advanced, it, it feels more like talking to a friend. I hear people explain it that way, and I look forward to the day that I get there. But if you want to figure out how to start praying, or you haven't done it in a while, or you do it, but it feels rote and, and empty, I'm, I got a three-word prayer for you that I think can get you going. Pray these words. God, please help. Because that's what I prayed. And one thing I know about everybody in this room without having to know anything else about you is I know that not everything in your life is just the way you want it to be. There is something either on the outside or on the inside of you that just isn't where you want it to be. So take that to God. Say, God, please help. Talk to him about it. Tell him what's going on. Have that conversation. And this is what I believe. If you, if you do that, if you begin to build that relationship with God, it will change you. You'll be starting on a process that's gonna change you. And get this, that changed version of you, I promise, is gonna be added to a process by which God intends to change and bless the entire world. Will you guys pray with me now? God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for this place. I thank you um, that you're God who looks at this earth and looks at every person, not just those who come and sit in a church, not those who live in a certain place. You look at every person and you say, you're mine, you're my child, I love you, and I have a plan to bring you back, God. And so for those of us who are here, for those of us who are listening, Lord, I pray that you would direct us towards you, God, that you would be pouring your blessing into us, that it would be changing us, and that you would be using that change in order to bring your blessing to more people. God, you are at work in this place, in this community, we thank you for that, and we ask God, please help.